Good morning. My name is David, and it'd be great to have uh, Daniel to open in front of you. But um, I want to start today with a bit of fun. I've got three riddles, three mysteries, and I want you to try and tell me the answers. So here's the first one. Mystery number one. And uh, maybe this can be one for the the boys and girls in year three and six, if any of them know the answer to this one. This is the riddle, the mystery. You see me once in a year, twice in a week, but never in a day. What am I? Oh, someone already said it? Let's see. Let me reveal the answer. That's correct. The letter E. So, see, E's there once in the word year, twice in the word week, but never in the word day. Okay. That was an easy one, just to get a bit warmed up. Here's the second one, mystery number two. You see a boat filled with people. It has not sunk, but when you look again, you don't see a single person on the boat. Why? Does anyone think they know the answer to that mystery? What's that? Oh. Close, but that was not the answer I was going for. Let me, yes, that's it. Let me reveal the answer. All the people were married. See, there wasn't a single. There weren't. There was no single people. They were all married. Okay, so you're getting the. You're getting into the rhythm of things here. Mystery number three, and this is my favourite one. One of the greatest riddles of all time. It comes from The Hobbit. What have I got in my pocket? Does anyone think they can reveal that mystery? What have I got in my... I do not have... It's not a ring. There's one guess down. You've got two more to go. Because in The Hobbit, uh, Bilbo gives Gollum three guesses. You've had one. It's not a ring. You've got two more. What's in my pocket? Does anyone think they know? Sorry? A hole. Oh, I don't think so. But no, that's not it. Not a ring. Not a hole. Sorry? Fuzz. Fuzz. Possibly, but that's not the answer I was going for. Well, I'm not going to reveal that mystery just yet. You're going to have to wait for a bit, but I will reveal it a little later on. But it's fun, isn't it? Thinking about riddles, thinking about uh, mysteries and trying to uncover the answer. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, there is a mystery just begging to be revealed. See, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's a troubling and disturbing dream. And he really wants someone to tell him what it all means. The problem is, though, that no one can reveal the mystery to him. No one, that is, except for God. Because what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 2 is that God is a revealer of mysteries. So let's have a look. We'll pick it up from chapter 2 and verse 1, where we find out that King Nebuchadnezzar has had a troubling dream. So verse 1, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. You know, sometimes when you have a dream and it's incredibly vivid at the time, 
but then later on in the morning, in the light of day, it just kind of fades away and it's hard to remember what the dream actually was. It seems like that's what's happening to King Nebuchadnezzar. He knows he had a bad dream in the night, but he doesn't remember exactly what the dream was or what it was all about. So he calls in the smartest guys from the kingdom so they can tell him about the dream. And this is what they say, verse 4. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. Now, it's a pretty clever answer, isn't it? Uh, If Nebuchadnezzar tells them what his dream was, then they can just kind of make up or fudge some kind of interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar's not interested. He genuinely wants to know what his dream was about. He doesn't just want some kind of made-up explanation, and that's what he tells them in verse 5. This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubbish. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now, the wise man and Nebuchadnezzar, they go back and forth for a bit until eventually, in verse 10, the smart guys say, look, we just can't do it. Have a look, verse 10. There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a, great th- such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. And of course, they're right, aren't they? Like, people aren't mind readers. We can't figure out what someone else has dreamt about. The only way that can happen is with some kind of divine, supernatural intervention. But Nebuchadnezzar is not happy with the answer. In fact, he's so furious that in verse 12, in his rage, he orders the execution of all the wise men in Babylon, including Daniel and his friends. It's a pretty extreme uh, response, isn't it? Obviously, this must have been a really, really troubling and disturbing dream. Now, like the other wise men, Daniel knows that the only possible way to interpret the dream is if God steps in. And so, when Nebuchadnezzar and his soldiers turn up to kill Daniel and his friends, Daniel goes straight to God for help. Verse 17. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. See, Daniel knows he can't reveal the dream. He knows that God has to do it. It's like me asking you what's in my pocket, right? None of you were able to tell me. None of you were able to reveal the mystery, not car keys. I've got to reveal it to you, so... Here it is. I hope it's not too anticlimactic. There is a hanky, but that's not it. Uh, It's a $1 bill. $1 from the United States of America. That's what was in my pocket. Now, you couldn't reveal it to me. I had to reveal it to you. That's the point. Don't worry about the dollar. It's not important. The point is, though, Daniel knows he can't reveal the mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. 
He needs God to reveal it to him and so he pleads with God. And God reveals the mystery to Daniel. Verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And so in the morning, Daniel heads off to to see Nebuchadnezzar and to tell him that God can reveal the dream and in fact, God has revealed the dream. Let's pick it up from verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See what Daniel says? He says, no, I can't reveal it to you, but God can. God reveals mysteries. But not only that, Daniel goes on to say that God is actually the one who gave the dream to Nebuchadnezzar in the first place. Have a look at verse 28. He, that's God, has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. See, this is a dream that has come from God. But not only has it come from God, but look at what it's about. Verse 28 again. God has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. This dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, it is about what will happen in the future. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what it means. No wonder he's worried about it. No wonder he found it troubling and disturbing because God has shown him in a dream what will happen in the future. So what actually is the dream? What did God reveal? Well, you can read about it in in the next few verses, but basically the dream was about a massive, massive, shiny statue. And the statue had four parts. It had a head, and the head was made of gold. It had a chest and arms, and they were made of silver. And it had a belly and thighs, and they were made of bronze. And then it had legs made of iron except that the feet were iron mixed together with clay. And in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, when he was looking at this massive, shiny statue, a rock appeared and it hit the statue on the feet and the entire statue just smashed into bits. It crumbled into dust and then it was blown away by the wind. And the rock then got bigger and bigger and grew into a mountain that filled the entire earth. Can you picture it? That was King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. God gave it to him to tell him about what would happen in days to come. What on earth does it mean? Well, fortunately, not only does God give the dream and not only does he reveal the mystery, but he also interprets the mystery. He explains what it's all about. And that's what Daniel says in verse 36. Have a look. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. So God 
tells Daniel what the dream means. And Daniel says that the head, of, the head made of gold, that's King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says that the chest and arms made of silver, that's a second kingdom that will come after Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says the belly and the thighs made of bronze, that's a third kingdom. And Daniel says the legs made of iron, that's a fourth kingdom. And so Daniel says that the four parts of the statue represent four successive kingdoms. Now it's interesting that in this interpretation so far, barely any effort at all has been given to trying to pinpoint just who in history these bits of the statue might represent. Sure, we're told that the golden head is Nebuchadnezzar, but we're not told who the second or third or fourth kingdoms might be. If you want to know that, you'll have to keep reading Daniel and find out later on. But for now, the reason we're not given those details here in chapter 2 is because at this point, those details don't matter. What does matter at this point is the big picture. And the big picture from verse 44 onward the mystery that this dream reveals is that the entire course of history is under God's control. The point toward which all of history is unavoidably headed is God establishing his kingdom. Let's pick it up from verse 44. And here God reveals what will happen after those other four kingdoms. Verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. What this last bit of the dream shows us, right? The rock that smashed the other kingdoms to pieces and that became a mountain that filled the whole earth, what it shows us is that history is headed towards an unavoidable climax. In the end, God will set up his kingdom. And it will be a kingdom to end all kingdoms. It will be an indestructible and everlasting kingdom. And this dream is true. And the interpretation is trustworthy. And listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar says when he hears it. Verse 47. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, because you were able to reveal this mystery. Now, can you imagine for Daniel and his friends in exile in Babylon, can you imagine how much of a comfort and encouragement this must have been? The reminder that their God was indeed God of gods, Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, the conviction that there is nothing that is hidden from God, nothing that he does not understand. The realisation that not only does God know and understand what's happening to his people, he controls it. And the comfort that not only is God in control, 
here and now, he also controls the future. That must have been a great comfort to Daniel and his friends in the exile in the Babylon. And you know, if that was a comfort to Daniel and his friends, it ought to be an even greater comfort to us. Because the mystery of what will happen in days to come that was partially revealed to Daniel and his friends, it has been fully revealed to us. We know the future even more clearly than Daniel did. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. God made known to us the mystery of his will. See what he says there? God made known or revealed to us the mystery of his will. In other words, God has revealed to us his plans for the future. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment. And this is the plan. This is the mystery that's been revealed to us. To bring all things together under one head, even Christ. That is God's plan. That's what will happen in days to come. That's what the future holds. The end point toward which all of history is headed, the unavoidable climax of history, is everything being brought together under the kingship of Jesus. And isn't it comforting to know that? Isn't it comforting to know now what the future holds? When people like Israel Folau lose their jobs for speaking out as Christians, when it gets harder and harder to have scripture in schools, when legislation is passed legalising same-sex marriage, as society moves further and further away from biblical values and Christian morals, as Jesus and the church get pushed further and further to the margins and sidelines of society, isn't it comforting to know that in the future, everything will be under the kingship of Jesus? And look, when your family makes fun of you for coming to church or for reading the Bible or for wanting to say grace at dinner time, and when your friends or workmates exclude you from things because you're a Christian, Isn't it comforting to know that in the future, everything will be under the kingship of Jesus? We know the future. God has revealed his plan to us, and it is a great, great comfort. But, you know, as well as being a comfort, knowing the future, knowing God's plan, it means we can live now with great purpose. One of my daughters, Jemima, when she knows her birthday is coming up, it gives her life great purpose. So she starts counting down how many sleeps there are to go. 100, 99, 98. She makes a list of all the people she wants to invite to her party and what presents she hopes to get from them. She looks through the Women's Weekly cookbook and she picks out her cake, usually with a few modifications. And a couple of years ago, she even designed and made her own invitations and had them sent out And then she planned in minute detail what activities and games we would do at her party. See, when Jemima knows her birthday's coming up, it gives her life great purpose. Knowing the future shapes what Jemima does 
and what she spends her time on and what she thinks about and the things she talks about for weeks and weeks beforehand. Friends, we should be like that, shouldn't we? We know the future. God has revealed his plan to us. Everything will be brought together under the kingship of Jesus. And so since we know that, that should shape what we do and the things we spend our time on and the things we think about. Knowing the future that God has in store, it should shape our lives in a thousand ways. But here's just one concrete way. Knowing the future should shape what we talk about. This is what Paul says at the end of Ephesians. Pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, Paul knows the future. The mystery has been revealed to him. He knows that a day is coming when Jesus will rule over everyone and everything. And so see what that means for Paul? It means that all he wants to talk about whenever he opens his mouth is the gospel. And friends, we know the future as well, don't we? We've had it revealed to us. But outside those doors, there are more than 35,000 people who don't know what the future holds. And they won't know unless someone tells them. And so I reckon that's part of our purpose in life, to pass on the mystery that has been revealed to us. How can we not talk about it? Like Paul did before us and like Daniel did before him. So friends, who do you know that you could pass the gospel on to this week? I'm going to finish now by giving you 30 seconds. I want you to write down just one name. The name of someone you know who realistically you can talk to this week about what God has told us will happen in the future. Write down one name and then I'm going to pray for us that like Paul, we would fearlessly make known the gospel. I'll give you 30 seconds. Okay, let me pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, thank you for the reminder from Daniel 2 that you are indeed the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Thank you for telling us what will happen in the future, that all things will be brought together under the kingship of Jesus. 
It really is a great comfort to know the future and to know that you have got it under control. And we also pray for the people whose names we've just written down. Please help us to be bold enough to talk with them this week about the future and about Jesus being the King. Help us please to fearlessly make known the Gospel. And perhaps above all, we ask that you would please reveal to them the mystery so that they might be part of Jesus' kingdom too. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing one final song together and then please stay for morning tea.